Hey Christ community, uh, happy Lord's Day to you. We're going to give this a go and I want to just thank God that we have the capacity to stay connected. As different as this means is than what we're used to, um, we're a people of his word and we're a people of community and from what I can tell, I think it's happening even though it's so different. Um, and so I just want to say a few things before we turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 together. First thing, uh, just some announcements. Um, deacon nominations, you should have seen in the email that went out this week, that we're going to extend that through uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, and you can reply to Christ Community email address when those pastoral emails come to you through Shannon, uh, any member that you would desire to nominate. According to First uh, Timothy 3, Acts chapter 6, as well as our Book of Church Order, which we've had in our announcements. So please see that. Um, and then I just want to say something with regards kind of where we go from here, our COVID-19 reality. Um, folks, we preached three or four weeks ago that we were called to submit to every human institution that God has placed over us. And so I think we're seeking to do that. We made some quick decisions early on. Obviously, things have turned into um, a new normal as regards deciding not to meet and gatherings. And so I pray that you are heeding the counsel of those who are over us. And I am praying regularly, as I hope you are, for those in the medical field or those who are in contact with others. Um, and I'm thankful that we live where we live. But I am asking for God's help to be aware of the trial that people that we may know throughout the country are facing, where there's more concentration of people and such. Um, but what can we be doing in the meantime? I just want to say this. Um, first of all, the system that we've set in place at Christ Community is really through community groups. Uh, we're the, the most natural place of care, as well as through our deacons. You've seen uh, communication that's gone out from me saying, hey, if you want to help serve another person's needs, email the deacons. Uh, you can respond to the church email um, because we're not announcing everything that we're doing. But I will just say this. We are helping people in our body. And we're not announcing the way that everybody needs to be helped, but we're trying to source every single need by means of the deacon serving kind of to set up a system to do that. So I want to just let you know that you can you can engage by kind of volunteering to take meals or do groceries for those who are homebound. Uh, but we are serving. We are tracking with people's financial needs and um, and we love you. And so just you may not know all that, but that is happening um, just some ideas that I heard this week from different things of just, you know, restaurants are out of business and such. What does it look like for you to figure ways to uh, write notes to your uh, your favorite, uh, um, whether it's a, a coffee shop and it's the barista or a bartender or a, uh, a waiter or waitress? Are there ways that you can, through an establishment, send notes, send letters, send gift cards? There's ways we can serve community uh, in, that we may not even thought of. That was just a creative idea. Certainly checking in on your neighbors, making a double meal for somebody and asking if you can deliver that. Letting neighbors know you're going to the grocery store who may be panicked, but they trust the way that you'll decontaminate things. Um, again, my email this week I did send and say, please, may God also cause us to be merciful as those who've received mercy. To those who think the way we think, those who don't think the way we think, uh, may we be patient, kind, gracious, and would we do good, which is in the passage we're going to preach. A couple more things. Um, why are we doing home worship instead of sort of a, uh, um, a video recorded virtual worship service? Let me just say this. It's a personal conviction of mine more than maybe... Uh, it is of other people, and I'm not even judging the way other churches have done it. God has given us an intimate communion at Christ Community Church. And so to do it this way, where we're asking 
If you're a head of household, if you're, you're called to love and lead your wife and children the way Christ loves the church, that's not everyone. Uh, if you're a single adult, you are still full of the Holy Spirit and called to respond to the call to worship and not forsake gathering as the church is designed. But we're asking for God to help us to do that in nuclear family units or in small friend groups, to lead each other to worship as opposed to attend or watch a virtual worship service online. That's just the way we're going to go about it. We're asking for you to prioritize family in a home with your peers, worship and sitting under the authoritative word of God, still confessing our sins collectively, but in home groups um, because we are full of the Holy Spirit and we can do that. And so that's a conviction. I hope you'll just understand that we're doing that intentionally. You're just not going to see us gather all our musicians and do a worship service that you can watch online. That's not going to be the approach we take. Um, and then last thing before we pray and spend time in the text, why are we going to continue in 1 Peter instead of doing something altogether different? I know a lot of churches have. I've seen different studies that have been put out. Folks, we are a word-anchored church, and we believe that God has ordained his word to be studied in its context for the people to whom he originally wrote it, but then also for us in our context here and now, understood as we see the gospel of Jesus in it, and then it's applied to our lives. And we're just going to keep then tracking with where we were. It's weird because this Sunday I'm going to share a word to you that Peter writes to wives. Next week we're going to look at husbands. And I think there's macro things for all of the church, uh, themes that are, that are reflective of the rest of the letter. But we believe God has had this book of 1 Peter for us in this time. And I think there's been some momentum and there's been a lot of maturing and growth and wrestling. What does it look like to follow after Jesus with a living hope right here in this home, away from home, regardless of my circumstances? And bam, our circumstances have all changed. But we're still in this text, and this text now goes into a place to discuss particular roles in the world that God's ordained. Today we're going to look at wives. So may you not feel like it's an odd thing that doesn't really fit. Yes, it fits. And the fact that we're going to stick through it and just study the word in its context is part of the conviction we hold as a church that's committed to his word being preached in its context. Um, I'm going to pray. I will say that my house is not quiet. Um, I'm pre-recording this. I don't know what's going to happen, where there's going to be yelling or where there's going to be laughter or um, who's going to kick something over or if we'll break this video right in the middle of it and I'll restart it. Um, but I love I get to share my life with you, and we get to study God's Word together. Let's pray. Father, would you bless our time in your Word now? Use it for your glory and for our good in this time as your church. Here, wherever we sit listening to this, wherever we sit studying it, would we grow because you have ordained for your people to receive your revelation and your revelation is good, and it's about our rescue, and it's about your way. Help us to heed it now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A word for you from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respect and Pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning 
Be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This is the word of God. That last sentence, it's written to wives, but I want you to think about it with me. Do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Just take that in as a believer in this time, in this world. Do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What an amazing universal statement that Peter gives there. Um, uh, to do good and not fear anything that's frightening, I want you to think of two things. First, think of all that Peter has said so far in the book. We can be about God's definition of good and have no fear, even though we're called to conduct our, fear, our lives with fear in this time of exile before God, but not fear the world, not fear of anything. And Peter chose to say, do not fear anything that is frightful. You have been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance being kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being kept for that day. And now he just says it. He says it to wives, but it's a message to all of us. So don't fear anything that is frightful. Nothing. What a universal statement in light of all that he said. But now let's think of that statement in light of all the fear that our world knows right now. Just today I've texted people, that I regularly see. I've texted people I haven't talked to in some time. How can I pray for you? I've called people and people are willing right now to share anxieties. Whether they're anxieties they assume you share or they're anxieties that they uniquely share. We have global healthcare system fears. We have global market fears. We have local fears. Local physicians have shared their, their concern of, of what it will look like over the next weeks, months of their life compared to even the rest of the populace. I've talked to people who have feared not just IRA and retirement accounts going away, but actual livelihood and paying mortgages and rent, providing for family. And the Bible here says, do good and do not fear anything that is fearful. What do you fear right now? Particularly if you are a wife, this is a text to wives. What do you fear right now? Father, would you help us to have our fears sifted by your word and that we would heed the way that our salvation should come to bear in all the roles we play in life, particularly this morning for those who fill the role of wife by your design, that we would not fear anything that is frightening because of our identity and our sure security in Christ that Peter's told us about week in, week out for the last three months because he saw you, he walked with you, he knew you, Jesus. Help us now as a church to weigh into this, lean into it, trust it. Grow us, particularly the wives in this congregation or those who will be wives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Peter, as you probably know, I hope you've studied it with us, 
um, he is going through different roles. And starting in chapter 13, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, he's told us to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Then in verse 18, servants be subject to your master. So he goes into the role of servant and master. Now he's going to go into the role of wife and husband. And then we'll see, starting in verse 8, in a few weeks he goes to, to everyone again in the way that we relate to one another in general. So there's a word to married women, and it matters that we all attend to it together. But I want to give some words to the unmarried right now. Specifically, if you're a woman who is unmarried, all of what is said here in this text applies to you right now in your life and in your understanding of who you are, except where it says that a wife has a posture of submission to her own husband. You see that? Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Apart from that, because God hasn't maybe given you a husband yet, or he will not give you a husband, you may not be called to marriage. Every other part of this text applies particularly, I think, to women as well as to believers as far as our identity of fearlessness and the beauty that goes along with it. But it's uniquely a word to women, and it's particularly a word to wives. And so let me say this, and we'll say more, and I'll try to move forward here. As an image-bearing woman in a world that God has made where men and women complement one another, we've not been made to be the same. You are beautiful as an image-bearer of God. You are whole. You're not missing anything. He made you in His image. You are to be free and fearless because of the identity He's given to you and the security that you have in it. You have been called to be born again to a living hope, and you therefore are being kept by Him right now, that's your identity. And so this is a word to wives, but it's a word to all women. And I want you to understand that the Bible is obviously very, very careful to say very, very clear things about the institution of Christian marriage when you have Paul the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 5, as well as the book of Colossians. Peter here in his first epistle say very direct things to us about marriage. Whether Paul is saying that marriage... And, what, and being a wife is like being the church that Christ loved and laid his life down for. Or Peter's saying here that marriage now is like the way Sarah used to love and respect and honor her husband Abraham. You have the Bible that's very clearly saying to us that the institution of marriage is a way in which God works in this world and it is a beautiful gift. Now before we get into four very, very basic points, I want to ask this question with you. Was Peter married? Yes, he was, because we know in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, we're told that Peter had a mother-in-law. And so Peter was married. We also know that the Apostle Paul was not. 1 Corinthians 9, he defends his rights to not be married before God. And, and, and so you have a challenge in the scriptures to, to, to say that there's a high calling of marriage and there's a role that we're called to play, but it's not the highest calling as though if you don't experience it, you've missed out on some high calling that God has for you. No, not everyone is called to it, but it is a high calling to which you have been called if you are a wife. Let's talk about the four things that are very beautifully pictured in this text. First, the word says, wives, be subject. It's the same word as in verse 13 and as in verse 18 in different arenas. Wives, you are called to submit to your own husband as a leader that God's put in place to lead you to him. Now, it's important for me to say this. It does not say in the text, women, be subject to all men. 
It doesn't say that. It says, wives, be subject to your husband. In Christ, there's neither male nor female. There's no value difference before God. But inside the bond of marriage, God has instituted a complementary union, just like two pieces of a puzzle fit together with two different people. And, and just as Jesus submitted to the Father, and it didn't uh, lessen his dignity because he submitted to all the Father asked of him, they were equal as God. So a wife is beautiful and equal to her husband as to the Lord, but she has a role to play. And she submits to him. Now, this is hard in our culture right now. I get it. There's rage in our culture at the pay, the pay gap. For equal performance and qualification, why is it that so often a woman is paid less? There is, there's a movement of general women's libertarian evangelism that happens all around our culture. Women power. Pushing back against maybe even some very ungodly ways in which women have been treated. There's a general shaming of men in our culture just for being a man. Who believes, particularly if he, if he believes he's called to love and lead his family, it's a calling to be the leader of his home. It's assumed then that that man is a fool who's been swallowed by angry, harsh, patriarchal authoritarianism. And that's the only other option that could be there inside that worldview. Folks, listen, that is not the picture the scriptures give of complementary union between husband and wife. An angry, harsh, patriarchal, authoritarian husband who's verbally abusive, maybe physically abusive, is ungracious and is unkind, is an unbiblical violation of the role of husband. And God will give him his moment of accountability. And God also is gracious to forgive him of his sins and to change and grow and mature him if he's in Christ. I was talking to a female friend who's unmarried outside the church, and I was describing Christian marriage and the beauty of a wife who has such amazing security because of God's care for her that she would dare submit to a fool and a husband who has a Jesus-centered view of authority and love and gracious provision and sacrificially presenting his wife and his children up to God to present them pure in Christ as one who comes under them. And she said to me, she said, what? Would you say that again? Because that's not the way I've heard it from the conservative church. I've heard that the man's just in control. He's just the leader. Folks, may we be a beautiful, breathtaking, alternative voice to a culture that assumes they may know what the scriptures teach, but we're saying, no, wives, you submit to your husbands because you have such an amazing security in who you are in Christ before God. It's a beautiful submission, not because he's perfect. Verse 1 tells us he may not even be a believer. He may not even obey his word, but by the way you live your life, you, you yield because you've already yielded your life to the one who's going to give you an eternity of blessing because that's your husband, your spiritual husband, if you will. So we call that biblical complementarianism. It's an alternative, redemptive picture of husbands and wives having different roles. And I will say this. It's a redemptive picture because in the book of Genesis, when we see the curse of sin, as Adam and Eve violate the will of God, and they violate his direct command, one of the things that is said to Eve is that um, not only will she have pain in childbearing, but one of the consequences of the fall to sin is that her desire will be for her husband. That's a weird description, right? It doesn't sound like a bad curse, does it? For a wife to have desire for her husband. But actually, in the Hebrew there, what you have in Genesis 3 is this picture of a wife whose desires are up against 
to try to trump her husband. And so you actually have in Genesis 3, one of the consequences of the fall is a power play inside the home. And for God, with Christ giving similar words, with Paul the Apostle, Peter the Apostle saying, no, it's so beautifully redemptive to have a complementary view where a woman subjects herself and yields herself to her husband. And the husband understands his role, which we'll look at next week. It is so redemptive to the power play that our world sees. So beautiful submission is the first thing. Second thing Peter talks about is beautiful impact. If you are a Christian wife, look at this picture in verse 1. Even a husband who does not obey the Lord, who doesn't submit to God's authority, he will be won by the conduct of his wife, her gentleness, her purity, her submission to God, won to God's authority, won over to God's way, which means won over to his gospel, which is the way in which he learns how to love his wife. It's amazing. A woman whose character, a wife whose behavior is respectful and pure and humble and non-fighting, yielding the self, is so beautiful that God uses it as a convincing picture of the security her husband needs with the same identity that he would lead her unto, the pure rescuing one. Beautiful impact is what we see in verse 1. So we see beautiful submission as hard as that is to stomach, perhaps, in our culture, but the beautiful impact of it. I could spend longer time there, but for time, let me, let me not spend time there. Let's look at the, the third thing. So there's beautiful beauty. A wife has beautiful beauty inside of herself. I want you to see where the text goes when it very quickly says, Ladies, wives, do not let your definition of beauty be external only. That's perishable. Don't let your definition of beauty be unaffordable or maybe even affordable adornment. This is for all women. You should not seek to win a man by external beauty. You should care about your presentability and you're reflecting the beauty that you have. The image that God has put upon you. But no, you are not about caring most about your physical exterior beauty. Because the beauty you have flows out of an interior that's so at peace that the Lord is going to win those around you, particularly your husband and your children, to his goodness by how beautiful you are on the inside. So I need to say something. And I say it with the authority of the scriptures, but it's not really my word to say. It's the word of a husband alone to say to his wife. But I'm going to look in the camera and say it. Wives, women, young ladies of Christ's community, you are beautiful. Let your adornment be the internal beauty of what God has done that comes and oozes out of you to influence those whom God has connected you to in covenant bond or maybe through your nuclear family as you're still a young lady or your peers. You are beautiful. And the way that you're supposed to think of beauty is right here. It's hidden on the inside. It's the hidden person of your heart. Uh, hidden from whom? Hidden from the world. It's beauty that you see that God put there, and it's beauty for your husband. It's hidden from the world, and that is so backwards in our Instagram and in our social media culture and our selfie culture. We want to take pictures of ourselves and tell the world how beautiful that we want to feel. 
And the scriptures say, you know what real beauty is? Real beauty is hidden except for the one who's supposed to see it. The imperishable beauty described here is a gentle and quiet spirit. Spirit of confidence. It doesn't mean that some women don't have personalities of extroversion and joy and laughter. But the beauty they really bring into a room when they walk in the room is not their external persona or their personality. It's the hidden spirit of peace. That God will take care of you in spite of all there is to fear in this world. You don't have to prove beauty to others. You don't even have to prove beauty to yourself. It's hidden inside of you, made in his image. You are a redeemed woman of God. Note with me that there's nothing new under the sun. Women, you are probably battling this very thing described here. And the scriptures tell you that Sarah battled it. Peter's generation of women needed to be told not to make beauty external with all that you wear and the makeup you put on your face and the gold you put on your ears or around your neck. Peter said it. He points back to Sarah, Abraham's wife, and he's pointing forward to our day and age. There's nothing new under the sun. I imagine you fight to believe you're beautiful, to believe it's in here, and to let what's in here be what connects to the world around you. Beautiful beauty is the third point. You are Sarah's daughter. If you prioritize internal beauty and then look where it goes at the very end, if you do good and you do not fear anything, that is frightening. So the last point, we've already referenced it, but beautiful fearlessness and freedom. Do not fear anything that is frightening. Every one of us has things we're probably frightened of. And we, as I've already mentioned, have so much to be Aware is frightening in the world around us. But I want you to think with me how Peter had the audacity, the boldness, the courage as an apostle to acknowledge that the role of a wife comes with a unique amount of fear. And I'm not a wife. But Corey married a fool. We're experiencing 20 years in the next three weeks. And I know how fear-inducing being connected to me as her partner in life and her called spiritual leader in the home must be ladies who are wives you have unique fears the scriptures acknowledge that here but your identity securing all that peter's talked about in chapter one in the early part of chapter two is to give you a bold confidence to do good without fear regardless of what's going on in the world around us or even in your own home. And it can't be a fearlessness that comes because your husband's done such a great job at it. Because verse 1 in the text implies that there are going to be some who can be this good and this fearless who are wives who have a husband who doesn't even obey God's law. So it's about having a spiritual husband who's Jesus, who's guaranteeing an inheritance of peace for Ladies, I hope you know that you can be fearless, not because your husband is going to wake up perfect tomorrow, but because your heavenly husband is preparing a place for you and he holds you now, even as he holds the church and your husband, your children, the church. We are the bride of Christ. Husband, let me say this. You and I have a role 
for one woman that God has given to us. And that role is to set the cultural space for her goodness and her fearlessness to thrive. You and I don't have the power to make our spouse fearless. That's a heart thing that the Spirit alone can do. But we are called to set about a space for her to have the freedom to address the fears of this world. And, and there are so many. Now, what about the gospel of Jesus? What about the gospel of Jesus? Well, we are a people who are called to interpret every command in Scripture through what God has revealed to us in Christ. Jesus is the model of submission inside a, a relationship of perfect equality. There's no denigration, no demeaningness to this text when we see that Jesus Christ was equal to God the Father but he submitted willingly. Jesus is your example, wives. Jesus is your example of fierce freedom and fearless submission. He's, he was gloriously alternative to those who fought for power in his day, wasn't he? Read a great article. Uh, I passed it on to some of you by Michael Kruger, and the article really wasn't about wives or anything like that. It was about how a, quote, you-do-you culture has made us vulnerable to the spread of the coronavirus. And his point is very simple, that so much of our culture right now, obviously the selfie culture, the narcissistic culture, uh, where people look and say, just be true to you, just be yourself. You do you. It cannot handle pandemic realms of suffering. Because it doesn't work to just say, you do you. Because you may be doing you and not feeling sick, and when there's a pandemic virus, you could be spreading it. You do you doesn't work with suffering. You do you doesn't work in a community. And let me just link that to this text. You do you doesn't work in Christian marriage. Where a wife or a husband say, I get to define beauty the way I define it. I get to define my role the way I want to define it. No, Peter and Paul, the apostles, they give us a picture of God's definition of how you and I are called to do our role inside the bond of that which is redemptive. Wives, you do you in Christian marriage as Jesus did his act of submission to the Father. You do you in that regard. Let God set the definition. You do you let me say it this way. This is what Michael Kruger says. The you do you worldview may at first appear to be life-giving. But in actuality, it will be life-taking. In contrast, the Christian worldview may at first appear to be life-taking when in actuality is life-giving. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. Christian wives, you're called to surrender, to be subject to your own husband as you're subject to the Lord to yield a, a realm in which you demand things to be maybe the way you think would be most natural because you're part of a redemptive communion that God set in place, complementary between husbands and wives, to distill the power play that our flesh wants to have inside of us. And you doing you with external beauty, you doing you with trying to get people to notice you, it will leave you bankrupt. But if you do you the way Jesus calls you to do it, 
There'll be a security, an internal beauty, a peace, a rest. And it will be the kind of good that our world needs to see. A couple last things. I need to say them. Women, if you have an unchristian husband, this text is for you. He's not a believer. Be patient. Submit to the Lord. He's your husband who will redeem you, but pray for your husband and give him an example of what submission to God looks like. Secondarily, some women, and I have preached and found out right after a sermon before, that this was true. Some women are in destructive, abusive marriages and relationships. I've chosen not to preach on that here, but let me say this. Please come to me directly, and the church is called to protect you. Please. Thirdly, women, will you mentor one another? Titus chapter 2 says this, Older women are to be reverent in behavior. They're to teach what is good and to train young women to love their husband and children and to be self-controlled and pure. Ladies, I want to implore you to have God set up in our midst Older women pursuing younger women. Older wives training younger wives. Older women confessing sin and struggle and trial. Younger women growing and looking for somebody else to pass that on to. Would God do that in our midst? Because he's a God who's bringing us into the community that we're called to be. And it is good. And we are not going to be dictated by the fears in the world. Whatever they may be. But we are asking for him to help us live our roles that he's put in order in the redemptive way they're called to be. Next week, we're going to look at the role of husband. I'm going to pray. Father, would you help this to have been a message that edifies those who are married wives and those who are not? Would you bless all of us with a posture of beautiful submission to you? but wives with a posture of beautiful submission to their husband. And would you make it so there's a beautiful impact on the life of that husband and in children in that home and those who watch that home because of the faithfulness of a Christian wife. Father, we ask for wives to believe in the beautiful beauty that they have inside them, hidden deeply. You made each woman in our community, across this world, in your image with beauty that's inherent. And then you redeem that beauty for those who are yours. And I just ask that the women in our church, those who hear my voice now, would believe in the beauty that they have and that while they present themselves in a way that's honorable to their husbands as well as to the culture around them, that their presentation of themselves would be the interior coming through the work you've done and it would not be about exterior beauty. And would you forgive men who objectify women, who cause them to think it's supposed to be about exterior beauty. Would you make us so alternatively different? And then finally, Lord, our prayer for wives, women, your church in general, would we have beautiful fearlessness as we seek to, go, to do good and sacrifice our wants and forgive greatly and love deeply and be flexible and be altogether different in a world where we don't want to just do us the way. There's no you do you among us when we do life your way. It's my prayer, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Christ community, thank you. We love you. We'll see each other soon, I hope.